Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from New Jersey, and hopefully, God willing, everything is going well in your operation. Uh, when this when this show drops or launches or whatever term that they use, I think they say drops on a podcast, right? I should probably I should probably know that, but hey, don't get my I don't get mired in those little little things. But um, we will already be into our sweet corn harvest, so we'll be picking the. Uh, We'll be in the first plantings, and God willing, uh, it looks uh, so far looks pretty good. I haven't picked it yet because I record. I'm recording this ahead of time, and but I've been there checking it out. We've had some uh, some cool days, and some cool evenings, and some cloudy days. So it was maturing quite nicely, and then it kind of like put the brakes on. <clears throat> so we'll see, but whatever it is, it is God willing. It's. Uh, it's, it looks like it'll be pretty good, I hope, right? <laughs> well, I'll let you know afterwards, after harvest. But as I said many times on this show, I'm, I mean, I'm not laughing. What are you going to do? You just trust in God, and that's it. I mean, I did everything that I could do. However it turns out, it turns out. Can't do anything about it. At least you could look, you know, that's my edict in life. Do the best you can. Do it to glorify God. And if it's meant to be, it'll be. And if it's not meant to be, well, it's not meant to be. As long as you know you didn't leave, you, you brought your A game to the table and didn't do anything that you didn't cut any corners or should have been doing something and you didn't do it. So, uh, but you know, when you have so many plantings, and I said this before on the show, and <clears throat> somebody who is in agriculture, which is 99%, probably 90% of our audience, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you know, when you have eight plantings over the course of, uh, well, May 12th to July to June 15th, so 33 days, 34 days, everyone saw a different condition, different soil temperatures, different amount of moisture, different amount of sunlight. So uh, it really does kind of skew the dynamics of it because you were looking at uh, the, each plant that's like having a, a family or having children. And there's a big difference in age. And this one grew up during this time. And this one was born during a... Uh, this event in life or this situation so it's a little bit different than a uh, than a traditional row crop or grain farmer will go in there and plant a lot of acres maybe to co- in the course of a week but they don't they see uh, mostly see the same conditions unless it's a real big 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 operation and the fields are far apart they may have caught some some obviously may have caught showers that the others didn't but still it's almost like uh, eight or ten test plots here and it's that way every year so that's what if you want to have fresh sweet corn for a long time that's what you have what you have to do but you know anyway on a different note and well well my mom's saying well positive because there's nothing wrong with that it's a blessing of a harvest and whatever it is it is but i do want to give some shout outs and uh i've been getting some people that are having me put pins in my map from their location And I and I've said before, is that uh, you have to uh, contact me at Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest dot com. Just because we communicated in the past for some particular reason, I will not take the liberty of putting a pin in the map with your name on it. <clears throat> and that may sound a little bit crazy, but I do want to. Uh, I do want to uh, to uh, I guess have your permission or what have you. I mean, it's only a map on my wall, but hey, it's a funny world today. Who knows? So, but I do want to give a shout out 
to Kenneth Bailey from Sydney, Sydney, uh, from Sydney, Montana. Why did I write Sydney, Nebraska? I know he's from Sydney because there's because there is a Sydney, Nebraska, but he's from Sydney, Montana. And Mr. Bailey uh, wrote a very nice note to me, and I want to thank you for the kind words you said about the show. And he said he's an old farm and ranch hand out there in in Montana. And he listens to the show on satellite radio, Sirius XM. He listens to Farm Machinery Digest Radio, and hopefully he may be starting to listen to the podcast. So that's Mr. Kenneth Bailey from Sydney, Montana. I know it's Sydney, Nebraska. I've been there. That's why I wrote on my piece of paper, Nebraska, but he's in Montana. And then a long-time, long-time listener of Idle Chatter, Mr. Dwayne Kimball from Callaway, Nebraska. And yes, he is from Nebraska. I didn't mess that up. But Callaway, Nebraska. And uh, and he's been a long-time listener, and he watched me on TV uh, on, for successful farming, what have you. And Commodity Classic on, in 2019, which was the last time I went, we were going, I, I believe Sonny Perdue, the Secretary of Agriculture, was going to talk. I believe that's who it was before the show opened. And we were waiting in line. I was waiting in line and and Dwayne and I believe his wife and another uh, neighbor of his and his wife were there. There was two couples and uh, we started to talk and we uh, real great guy, salted earth guy. And I believe that he uh, also has something to do. He farms out there in, in, in uh, Callaway, but he also, I think he sells some garst seed because his email is is Garst Cornhusker, I believe. So anyway, um, but he uh, reached out to me to put a pin in the map, and I'm very, very grateful that he did because uh, we've had some nice conversations over email conversations a few years ago, and, and respectfully, I get a lot of emails, and I'm not good with that address book thing, so I just let the email save itself, but it's, it's hard for me. <laughs> it's my own fault, my own incompetence. To really identify and, and the more people that contact you like i say it's harder to um, to identify whose email is who but he's out there in that neck of the woods and um, he's also going to be attending there's an open road race out there in nebraska my buddy gene and i had attended the open road race a number of years ago in nevada which was a silver state classic and there's a spin-off of that I think it's called the Sand Hills Classic or something. He told me about it, and uh, and it's not too far from where he is. So, so he, hopefully, he's going to go there and check it out. It's uh, the one in Nevada was a was a fun event to participate in, and it was a fun event for for somebody to spectate with the I guess the pre race activities. Because if it's anything like the one in Nevada, you just go to the starting line and they. The cars were timed one minute apart, and there was nothing dramatic. In Nevada, you were basically racing yourself. You're racing the clock for 92 miles. But, hey, uh, Dwayne, there's a pin in the map from Callaway, Nebraska, with your name on it. Then another longtime listener reached back out to me and uh, mentioned his name a few times on the show and from correspondence. And I always I always butcher his last name so he knows who it's going to be. Bruce, I don't butcher. It's Jack Ubar- I think it's Jack Uboscus. And uh, he is a great, great fabricator and mechanic, 
and um, he's just very knowledgeable man and wonderful fabricator. I mean, he has fabrication skills that I can't even dream of. He had sent me pictures of some of his work, and I believe he's restoring a an older Ford pickup truck. I mean, older, I think it's a 34, so it is old, but I may have the year wrong. And um, just a wonderful fabricator. I know he's making a lot of uh, parts for it, and he's been a long-time listener of Idle Chatter, and I greatly appreciate that, that he does listen each week. And he is from Center Barnstead, New Hampshire. And then the last but not least, the shout-out today is from Mr. Ron Learn. Did a podcast with him and his brother, for the on the road series a few weeks back and he is from commodore pennsylvania even though i think it's really someplace else around that neck of the woods but officially i guess it's commodore pennsylvania and there is a pin in the map for him so please i would welcome the opportunity i'm going to be badgering you guys every week and just re-reminding you because people sometimes they you know they don't listen this week and they catch up in the week after that or what have you but um, any place in the world that you listen to idle chatter and i know that we have listeners at least in 67 countries around the world so i would love to be able to hear from not only those in the united states and canada but all around the world and i would uh, welcome hearing from you so i ask you to please just send me an email at hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com and tell me where you listen from and i want to fill up this map you're ready so uh that is that and the other thing i wanted to uh i know we have a very eclectic and i say we all the time because you are the show you are part of the show the show isn't mine the show is yours so it's we so so we have an eclectic audience here and i don't know i and i'm assuming i don't know this for a fact but someone out there may be an entomologist and you know, the, the, what I don't understand, so this is this is a, a question I'm asking to anyone, is that, you know, one of the things in life, and, and that's going to get to, which is going to lead into and around the way into the topic of today's show, but, you know, one of the things in life is to be observant. And um, by observation, I feel that you could learn so much, glean so much, you could diagnose so much, because the thing is that you could, you may not know the answer, all right, and the thing is that you say, well, geez, you know, that's not supposed to be that way, that's not supposed to look like that, that's not the way to over there. And I think today, for the most part, and I'd have to say not my audience, but such a big part of society today is just so oblivious to what's going on around them. But but you know, one of the things of diagnosis is diagnostics is to pay attention and to be observant. Oftentimes you'll observe something and you you may find the answer in five minutes, you may not find the answer for fifteen years. But the first step is to identify it through observation say this looks different something is different about this and what and why i asked if anyone is an entomologist is that you know there's a, a basically in essence you could go on a road trip with, a, with your car with your pickup truck you go on a road trip or what have you and years ago when you were out in the country and you would go on a road trip specifically if you're driving at night you'd come back in the front of the vehicle and the windshield would be all splattered with the remains of insects and then years ago when from the far end of our farm my mother's aunt and uncle lived there and in uh, uncle steve and aunt katie in ukrainian it'd be it'd be chocha katie and ajatku steve stefan was his name they were retired dairy farmers and when my sister and I used to walk to their house along the highway, Route 517, 
It was a different world back then, all right? And we used to walk there, and we used to pick up all the dead insects that were butterflies, this, that, that were hit by cars. Some of them were, you know, some of them were just got shocked and the poor things passed away. But anyway, the point that was going on to this for three hours is that, you know, I could go on a road trip today. I could go to Ohio or go to Michigan. I could go, and you hardly get any you have hardly any bugs on your bumper, on your windshield, on your, in your grill. All right, now, I understand part of it is the cause of more aerodynamic today. But when I walk around the truck stop, I mean, maybe uh, you know, a 2021 Freightliner Cascadia is more aerodynamic than a 1974 Freightliner conventional. But the fact of the matter, that thing is still pushing a lot of wind. And when I walk around the truck stop every morning and, and have coffee, you hardly see any any insects remains on the front of a semi anymore and i to me that's frightening because i know we get earworms in the cornfield right we get we get spiders around the house but what happened to all the insects and you know back years ago in the 60s i mean they were using ddt and everything and they're not even using that now and there's just no insects uh i mean i went to uh whatever you go on a 500 mile trip i mean a thousand a thousand miles in one day and uh you hardly have any bugs on the car so in the summertime so i don't know so if anybody knows the answer to that then i i would ask you to please reach out to me if you have any inkling of it like i say know the aerodynamics of the cars and there's obviously more cars on the road than there used to be but still you should still be able to see uh see something and when i walk around the truck stop they bumpers and the grills i mean years ago we used to run a bug screen on the car and out in the midwest they used to have a clear clear like plexiglass deflector that they used to put on the front of the hood you don't even need it anymore you don't even get any ride a motorcycle you don't even get any bugs in your teeth so i was just curious about that if anyone knows the answer or has an idea of what the answer is that i greatly appreciate it but you know there that's what i'm talking about and that's what the topic of today's show is no why is there no bugs on the front of a freight liner's bumper that's not the topic but the topic topic that i'm going to discuss is having you identify the technology and you know i hate that word but the technology and all of any other word that i could use for this that's under the hood or, or when you open the hood of a modern vehicle be it a car or a truck and i would say to a certain extent the farm tractor but probably not so much um but more of a uh, a lighter duty vehicle and you know the, th- the thing in life you know then again this is the you know the world according to ray you could choose to reject it uh, like my wife does <laughs> but uh, but anyway uh you know i i can't i i was never the type of person that looks at something doesn't know what it is and it doesn't bother me i may, I may not know it to the nth degree but I, I need to at least be able to recognize it right and when you when you open the hood today you see a lot of technology and a lot of things there and to the average person even though they may be an enthusiast or they may be a hot rod farmer they may not really be privy to it so what i'm going to talk about is two technologies today and it's variable cam timing and and in variable intake manifold runner length and i think it's important for you to understand that so is it going to help you grow any crop no is it going to make you is it going to make any money no but what it'll do it'll allow you to look at an engine look at something and identify what is what it what it's why it's there how it how it works and what the function of it is and then we will have a toolbox test question 
and this is from uh, Jim, and uh, he actually uh, started to listen to the show, and he reads my column in Hemming's Muscle Machine. So it's going to be a little bit of a different show today, right? It's uh, a little bit, a little bit more hot rod than it is farmer, but uh, hopefully you do not mind. Uh, and when I go on a business trip, I always say it's a monkey business. It's got a little bit of monkey and a little bit of business. So this is going to be a little bit more hot rod than it is farmer. So without any further ado, sixteen minutes going long again, hot rod. I will get into this. All right. So now, you know, when you when you look at a modern engine. And like I say, when you observe things, one of the things you need to observe is that would be cognizant of is that the engines are getting smaller and the power is getting bigger with the power is being increased. But I wanted the the drama of that smaller and bigger. So, I mean, General Motors, uh, Chevrolet and GMC even offer a four-cylinder engine uh, I think either the base engine or it's a low cost option. In this Silverado, the, the Silverado pickup truck, the fifteen hundred, the half ton Chevy and GMC pickup trucks, and then even if you look at you look at, at larger trucks, for instance, like the F one hundred and fifty, using for that for example, the largest V eight engine, and it is five liter, and a five liter is basically around three hundred two cubic inches, three hundred cubic inches. A good rule of thumb is that a liter is about 60 cubic inches and you know they all these car companies round off the engine size and just like they did back when it was cubic inches they would round it sometimes they rounded it high sometimes they rounded it low i mean for instance you know uh you would you let's say like amc back years ago they had a 401 all right so if you did the math it may have been 400 points point two inches if you did the bore and stroke calculations but you know they every, everybody else had a 400 and so they called it a 401 and, and so lots of times those numbers are rounded they're not rounded by five cubic inches but they're rounded and the same thing happens with um uh, with the metric equivalent of liters and uh, cc's so I'm, for instance, I was a kid, I had a Honda CB350 motorcycle, but it was a 350cc, that's what it said on it, right? But actually when you looked on the engine, it was stamped 325cc. So I guess they cheated a little bit, they wiggled to, to uh, and I don't know why they did that. But anyway, so a rule of thumb is that if you have a six liter engine, it's approximately 360 cubic inches, give or take. All right, so that's, and and if we look at the industry, look at, look at the, um, vehicle population is that the engines are getting smaller and for instance even like a a ford explorer which is a fairly heavy vehicle then that comes with a with a four-cylinder engine now albeit that chevy silverado and the ford explorer that i'm talking about are turbocharged and we're going to discuss that it's a little bit different game but 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 even the big engines are not that big anymore the normally aspirated engines so so they uh so why is this or how is this happening how are they how are they accomplishing this and you know the knee-jerk reaction is probably not so much anymore but knee-jerk reaction 20 years ago people say oh because it's fuel injected and the fuel injection has nothing to do with that i mean i'm not going to deny that fuel that an advanced fuel injection system has more finite control of the of the air fuel ratio but that's not going to make a a a three a five liter ford pull like a 7.5 liter so there's got to be something else going on but one of the things that the technology that is very prominent today 
in uh, in both gasoline and diesel engines are uh, variable cam timing, or some people call it variable valve timing, but the, it's actually done through the camshaft for the most part, and variable cam timing, and then variable runner intake manifold. And they put you put those two together, and then you have an engine that could be have a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type of personality. They could be very sedate, and it'd be very powerful. So that's what I want to touch on. And, you know, you really haven't seen that to this particular point in the agricultural community that I am aware of, all right? And for one of the reasons why you don't see that is because agricultural engines um, are meant, they're not truly steady state, but they're more steady state than a road vehicle would be. So, and why is that important? Because the tr- because the transient operation. So when it's changing in RPM, it's changing in load. All right, is the hardest is the hardest aspect of the engine to tune, and also is the hardest aspect for you to opt for it to be optimized. And you need to realize that everything in engineering is a compromise. It's just a matter of what compromises you are willing to accept. And if you look at anything in life it is a compromise so you make a decision say well i'm not going to put an extra shot of fungicide on there because i uh you know i ran the numbers and uh, it's not going to pay or or i'm not going to do this because it's been really really dry and i don't think it's going to have any effect or i'm not going to you know i'm going to put down any more end because we haven't had any rain and there's no rain it's going to sit on top of the soil so i'm just using those as examples but we make we make decisions and we often comp those are compromises because then and there are they're influenced by other things other they're influenced by outside events or or effects i'll say effects or uh, other than the goal the goal of having more crop the goal of making more horsepower whatever whatever it may be but everything in engineering is a compromise and then when you look at a, anything that is engineered and specifically i'm going to say with engines because that's more of the focus of our talk today is that you will see that that a dedicated a dedicated um let's say like a drag race engine a drag race engine is a very narrowly and very narrow pinpoint laser pinpoint meaning laser pinpoint as far as its operating speed its range and what it's supposed to do it only has to run for a few seconds whatever 10 seconds 15 seconds five seconds whatever it may be all right you know 12 seconds and it needs to operate in a very narrow power band so what it could do when you when you build and design a drag race engine you take that in consideration you can't take a drag race engine take it out of a car put it in a pickup truck and tow a trailer to california with it you'd maybe get 20 miles and it would blow up all right but you could take it down so and the same thing is like if you were to look at a nascar engine all right so they go down the track around the track for 500 miles so the thing is that we have a 9000 rpm so they have to build that reliability into it but to run 9000 rpm or whatever they run i think they run close to that um and for 500 miles but the thing is that you know that engine's not going to be happy sitting in a if you pulled it out and said that i'm going to put in a taxi cab in new york city and sit in traffic all day with the air conditioner on and have a lot of acceleration from stop 
start and stop, right? Usually an engine like that, that that, that breeds very well and does things very well at 9,000 RPM is usually not very efficient at 1,000 RPM or 2,000 RPM. So those are the compromises you make. And and in, in engine engineering, it's long been established, and long, I shouldn't say established, it's long been known that the intake manifold runner length and the camshaft are probably the two largest areas of compromise, excuse me, in engine design because they are fixed. So fixed meaning that they're not changeable, right? They're changeable by design, but they're not changeable on the fly. So when you when an, an, an engine is designed, the same thing as with a farm tractor, all right, you know, the intake manifold and the camshaft are designed as a compromise to operate in a certain rpm range but to be the most efficient at one particular point and and i've touched on some of this over the years on the idle chatter podcast but if you were to look at like a a briggs and stratton lawnmower engine right or any type of small engine like that the industry stand is they're designed to run efficiently at 3600 rpm so around 36 3700 rpm that's with so the camshaft the intake manifold the carburetor everything is designed for that speed so now what has happened is that with the advent and i'm not going to say the advent of fuel injection but fuel injection does come into play is that it was, it's been well known for many, many years that the, and we're going to talk about intake manifolds first, that the length of the intake manifold runner, and the intake manifold runner is identified as the, as the distance or the area from the back of the throttle plate, so it could be a carburetor, back of the throttle plate, so, so actually the bottom of the plenum, where the plenum start, goes actually into each individual runner, to the to the juncture the connection of the intake manifold to the cylinder header so that is what they call the runner r-u-n-n-e-r so it is well known for many years that the length of the intake manifold runner is going to be paramount on the characteristics of the, the the torque characteristics of the engine and at what rpm that the torque character that that peak torque comes in and how flat the torque curve is and what we mean by a flat torque curve is that it's a torque curve that 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 stays relatively constant as far as its output throughout a wide a, a, a large rpm range a large rpm window because in engineering you look at what they call the area under the curve and you as a farmer you look at area under the curve with your output right in your field right you say okay this this part of the field's got 200 bushels this got 300 this has got 100 this has got 400 so you you want to you want to try to bring the 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 100 up to the two or 300 not necessarily make the 400 500 so you want to have you want your average to go up higher so this area under the curve so what you need to understand about an intake manifold is that it works on a theory called hem helm hem halts residence and some people call it organ pipe tuning and it's it's the man the person's name is helm helm hem halts i i believe it's h-e-m-l-h-o-l-t-z and hem halts residence and what will happen is that if you talk to an intake manifold designer they'll identify at the part the part the r the speed that the manifold tunes at and i'm going to explain that now what happens is that the intake manifold the rule of thumb, and I will repeat it, is that the longer the runner, the more torque 
the engine will make at a lower RPM. The higher, the the shorter the runner, the less torque it'll make at, at, at the less torque it'll make, and it'll shift the whole power band up at a higher engine speed. So if you were to have a very short intake manifold runner, that engine would not have a lot of torque at low RPM, but would spin to a very high RPM and make a lot of horsepower. So the thing is that, now keep in mind, is that you can't lose sight of the fact that an engine dyno measures torque and mathematically converts that to horsepower. So even though I'm saying is that it's going to make a lot of horsepower, it's because you an engine, every engine needs RPM to make horsepower. It needs cylinder fill to make torque, but it needs RPM to make horsepower. And a simplistic way to look at this is that that torque is the amount of work that the engine could do and horsepower is how quickly it can accomplish that work so we're going to get we're going to take an engine because this engine is a good textbook example it's a 300 cubic inch inline ford that went out of production years ago which was always a bulletproof engine great engine six cylinder 300 cubic inch inline motor would 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 out pull a 302 ford all right a v8 engine so when you have a carburetor on an engine then you are limited for all intents and purposes practical purposes of for the you're you're limited in the runner length because a carburetor is what is called a wet flow fuel system so the the fuel is atomized or is atomized through the carburetor it comes into the plenum and then it goes it mixes with the air and it travels through the manifold to the intake port of the cylinder and ultimately into the into the cylinder so it is a it there is what's called charge fuel and air mixed together so the fact of the matter is is that if you had too long an intake manifold runner then the thing is that there is the possibility that the charge will what they do fall out of suspension at low engine speed so let's say at idle or right off right off idle at low velocity through the manifold and would fall out of suspension and you would have an uneven fuel distribution and you'd have a a lean condition and then then the condition when there's the engine speed went up the condition the fuel would actually go too rich it would, the air fuel ratio would go too rich because it would pick up the fuel that's dropped out of suspension so that is the problem now when you have a port fuel injection system is that you can go and now put the injector right by the intake manifold juncture of the intake manifold to the intake port of the cylinder head and now you only have air coursing through the manifold and there's nothing to fall out of suspension so what that is given the the engine designer the freedom the opportunity to make the intake manifold runner longer for more torque as they did on the efi version of the Ford three, uh, 300 cubic inch six zone, they called it a 4.9 instead of a 5.0 because of the 302 is they called the 5.0. And it also gives the engineer the ability to take the manifold and have it turn and roll. So it's very common when you look at modern engines today, not just six cylinders, could be four cylinders, could be V8, for have what they call almost a barrel or a half a barrel type of manifold, intake manifold runner, that goes and rolls over to one side and practically rolls over to the other valve cover. So let's say it's an inline engine and it roll and it's, it rolls either left or right depending upon the design. So why are they doing that? Is they want to be able to achieve more runner length 
so the engine could make more torque at a low at a low engine speed because you have to remember whether it's a farm tractor or whether it's a car we 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 buy horsepower but we drive torque so the fuel injection has allowed that to happen now let's expand upon it a little bit more it's very common to have today what they call variable runner intake manifolds so let's go back to our old 4.9 liter ford with fuel injection the valve the the intake manifold runner was made very long all right because you're putting the fuel in with the injector we don't have to worry about it dropping out we're just coursing air through that runner through that pipe basically so now you take that but still we are designing a manifold for a certain rpm range and it's going to always be a compromise so if you have a very long intake manifold runner then what is going to happen is that the engine will have a very very good throttle response make a lot of torque right off idle pull very well but it will run out of rpm or run out of out of breath at higher rpm and why will it run out of breath at higher rpm because the pipe that it's going through is so long is that the cylinder fill will drop off because the air can't travel fast enough to fill a cylinder so just like if you were to, i'm going to make a drag race analogy if you're going to race for an eighth mile or a quarter mile or, or a half a mile or one mile well if you're going to race for one mile drag drag race type format it's going to take longer to go one mile than it's going to be an eighth mile so what happens is that the that the cylinder fill which we call volumetric efficiency drops off at the because the piston is moving so fast the piston is pumping the air but the pipe in essence that it's going through is too long all right so even though the fuel injection allowed for you to make the manifold longer there was still that compromise so you still have to limit your area under the curve and say okay fine we want this engine to make a lot of torque right off idle at this rpm and run out of breath at 4000 rpm or we want it to make a lot of power at 4000 rpm and have nothing downstairs and so the intake manifold runner length is going to be paramount to that now another thing since i'm going to i'm going to expand upon it and building block approach here the another thing is that you look at most modern engines and they have some well we call it plastic it's a phenolic type of material all right it's a it's it's a nylon type of material usually dupont nylon 66 it used to be but it's not 66 it's six over six and then they have some other materials now and and so it's so people call it uh, you know the colloquial is it's a plastic manifold and i guess it falls into some sort of plastic but it's more nylon so why did they go to plastic or nylon manifolds i'll use it i'll use the colloquial plastic all right why did they use plastic manifolds well for a couple of reasons number one and the main reason being is that plastic does not transfer as much heat as aluminum or any type of metal does because what would happen is the longer the intake manifold runner so the longer the air is traveling the more time it has to absorb the underhood heat then you have to keep in mind that for every 10 degrees fahrenheit that the and i apologize for not having the metric equation in my mind every 10 degrees fahrenheit the air temperature is altered all right the intake air temperature is altered the engine power is impacted by one 
percent so 10 degrees one percent so if it's if it's 10 degrees colder then you will make one percent more power if it's 10 degrees hotter you will make one percent less power and the reason for that being is that the amount of oxygen the oxygen molecules either expand or contract so what happens is the longer so think of this if you have you had a a torch and you went with a torch and you had a flame going you went real fast with your finger across across the flame of the torch i mean you'd feel it but it's a very good possibility that you will not be burned and you won't even feel it that much because you went very fast unless it's i mean like a two thousand degree torch but but like we'll say a match all right now if you went very slowly through that flame with your finger you're going to get burned because your finger is going to absorb the heat there's going to be thermal transfer so the th- same thing happens with an intake manifold is that the long so the, the great thing about it is that we hey a long runner to make a lot of torque we got this pickup truck we want to make a lot of torque to get the load going but now when it gets hot underneath the hood we're going to have a lot of thermal transfer so now this thermal transfer is going to say that for every 10 degrees we're going to impact power by a by one percent so the thing is that now keep in mind that you could have it could be 20 degrees fahrenheit outside and the air coming in at the air that is coming into the cylinder head port through the intake manifold because of the heat from combustion could be 170 degrees so it's not going to be 20 degrees it's not going to be the ambient temperature so that is why they use a a a a nylon type of manifold because there's less thermal transfer and the other thing they basically use a nylon manifold for is that the inside surface because it's a it's 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 made i'm not going to say it's injection molded but the process to make it and because of the material has a very glassy smooth surface so there's less frictional flow loss with a nylon manifold in the runner than it would be with a sand casting that has some roughness to it all right so that's the other thing and the third thing the third basically is that it's a weight savings but that's further further down down on the list but the biggest thing is the thermal transfer so now we have this intake manifold and as i said earlier on in the show if you look at like a lawnmower engine that intake manifold is de- is designed the length of the manifold and the cross section of that manifold is meant to to run at 3600 rpm so now I mentioned Hemholtz resonance and 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 uh, resonant tuning of a manifold. Now, the thing basically is is that a manifold, when it's properly designed, will have will start to resonate. And what resonate means is that it gets excited the airflow gets excited and it has what's called an inertia supercharging effect so and what that means is that the air volume starts to get going so fast and so efficiently and i'm i'm, I'm touching on this briefly because i don't want you to spend you know, a whole show mired in inertial supercharging but the thing is it gets so fast that it pulls more air along with it and the best analogy that i can make for this or i shouldn't say the best it's a good analogy that back years ago i was coming back from ag phd uh, soils clinic in sykes in missouri i was in ohio on route 224 outside of tiffin just left the hotel there it was snowing to beat the band retrospectively i should never have left i should have stayed in the hotel all right waited a couple hours and there was a plow truck coming down the road uh you know they have those big i call them wing plows the other the wing on that 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 additional wing and you couldn't see where the line was on the road and he was about a foot too far over and i and i 
anticipated that he was going to whack me with the plow. I was going about 10 miles an hour. So the thing basically is that I went over to the right and I thought that I was on the road yet and my left my right front tire just dropped off even though it was deep snow dropped off and then as it pulled me right into the ditch so it was the first time in my life I was in a ditch all right pulled me right into the ditch thank god I didn't get hit by the plow but pulled me into a ditch my the car wasn't damaged but my ego was damaged so in essence the snow and the pulled me into the ditch well that's what happens with inertial supercharging when you get this velocity up high enough is that it's actually going to pull it's going to suck like a vacuum and pull more charge into the cylinder and the volumetric efficiency is going to go up so that is what's called resonant tuning and what will happen is a manifold will resonate so it'll start to resonate and it'll pull this extra air into the cylinder pull this extra air into the cylinder at a certain rpm window and the engine is going to make a lot more torque and in turn a lot more horsepower so that is what they call a tuned intake manifold now the problem basically is is that the tuning of the intake manifold when it's going to resonate in simplistic terms is going to be key to the length but we just said we designed the manifold for one length so now what happens if we say well we want this manifold to be very very elastic and elastic meaning that's efficient at more than one more than one rpm range so what we what they end up doing is they came out with what they call variable runner intake manifolds and most engines gas or diesel have it today and what what they have in there is a series of doors that are usually operated by some sort of solenoid it may be a vacuum solenoid or what have you and there's even though you don't see it on the outside there's a short path and a long path in that manifold so what happens is that when when it at low speeds the intake manifold is going through the the airflow to the cylinder is going through the long path to make a lot of torque and it's going to resonate and tune there but now when we get to a certain rpm that this manifold this door is going to close close and it's going to have the short path to fill a cylinder so now we have a two it would be like saying you have a corn seed that's both a workhorse and a racehorse all right so the thing is that so now at higher rpm we we shorten the length right then we eliminate the the travel time so we could fill the cylinder the manifold could actually start to tune again by design organ pipe resonance by design and have an engine that is a small engine but has a very broad power band because we're optimizing the intake manifold runner length for volumetric efficiency which is cylinder fill to a much broader rpm range versus a fixed length intake manifold is going to truly be the most efficient at a very narrow window of rpm so that is why they have plastic i'll say plastic intake manifolds for thermal transfer and for smoothness of the surface and then they also have variable intake runner manifolds almost every engine today has a variable runner intake manifold and that allows you to have that small engine and have the torque down low and have the rpm for the horsepower the crankshaft speed up high and it becomes very very elastic but the thing that you need to understand is that the manifold length and the cross section to a certain extent but more the runner length but it, there's a dynamic there all right and uh, there's a design dynamic is keyed and it's the bacon and then the eggs of that is the camshaft design 
So now by having a variable runner intake manifold, we're able to shorten or lengthen the airflow path in the manifold, though you don't see it on the outside. Length, shorten, or lengthen the air. But now the camshaft on every engine is just as compromised or more of a compromise than the intake manifold runner. Because what is going to happen is that the cam design, which is the amount of time that in, in the rotational degrees that the valve is open, how quickly it opens and how high it opens and when it opens, and, and conversely, when it closes, both the intake and the exhaust side opening and close, which is because the closing is just as important as the opening. All right, the fact of the matter is, is that is very compromised because that cam, that lobe can, is only mechanically ground one way. So whatever it is, it is. So that compromise is there. But the in the camshaft works hand in hand with the resonant tuning of the intake manifold and for the inertia supercharging. So what is going to happen is that if we could develop it, which the industry did develop a day to a way to change the phase of the camshaft, and what's meant by the phase of the camshaft is that it's it's <clears throat> it's its position to the crankshaft in relation to what they call the lobe center line. So you could advance the camshaft, not talking about ignition timing, and retard the camshaft, or the camshaft could be straight up where it's at the lobe center line. So now what happens is that if you were to take a camshaft and you were to advance its position from the lobe center line, and at, at this particular juncture, that's all you need to understand, then what will happen is you will increase the bottom end power, the bottom end torque. So now you be able, so now if we have a variable runner intake manifold, and we lengthen the runner, and then we and the and the an engine controller goes, hey camshaft, advance ten degrees, and advances the cam. So now we have a small engine that's a true powerhouse at low RPM because the camshaft and the intake manifold are working together instead of being compromised. And now as the engine starts, you can remember it's transient, not like a lawnmower, and we start to climb the rpm band so now what basically happens at the same time the intake manifold runner starts to shorten up and the camshaft starts to go more towards uh, towards its center line position which would be called straight up and then at one particular point now the camshaft gets to be a what's called a retarded position and when the camshaft is retarded, you increase the engine's ability to breathe at high RPM and make a lot of horsepower. So we're taking this camshaft, and now we're, we're rotating the camshaft to a, what's called the phase in, rego- in relation to where the crank is in the piston, and we're changing it back and forth, and you're doing this either through oil, oil pressure, or solenoid, or what have you, and, with, and it's being done in conjunction with the intake manifold runner so now if you were to look if you were to look at a, at a like a soil test this would be like base saturation where we're getting everything optimized so no longer are we optimize are we compromising the the uh the intake manifold runner for its harmonics its hemholz resonance its organ pipe tuning its resonance tuning and the camshaft works in conjunction with that and now we're changing the cam phase all right so basically in essence, and if you listen to my podcast on the Ford, um, I was saying Voodoo, not the Voodoo, uh, a Godzilla engine, what they called a DEVCT. So it was dual effect variable cam timing because that only had one cam. 
because it's a push rod engine so now the thing is that when you have one cam when you when you phase the cam mean twist it clockwise in degrees right the cam is being phased change its rotation that you're impacting both the intake valve intake lobe and the exhaust valve the same amount so if you advance it 10 degrees you're impacting both 10 degrees if you're retarded 10 degrees you're impacting both and that is why engines today have variable cam timing not the not the not the uh the godzilla and have and have have multiple camshafts because now if we take the theory of variable cam timing and we have an engineering we call degrees of freedom and we and we could change the phase of the intake cam independently of the exhaust cam now and we could change the intake manifold runner path now we got the cat's meow now we could take this little engine and have it make the power of a large engine but have the fuel economy of a small engine because we don't have the frictional losses inside we don't have the pumping loss we don't have the mass and all you're basically doing is that you're optimizing what is already there because the because the stumbling block was the intake manifold runner length and the camshaft position so if we so the first step would be variable cam timing with a single cam and then by going to multiple cams so if it's a if it's a uh, you know a uh, inline four cylinder inline six cylinder would be two cams all right we'll go to four cams whatever it may be and so intake exhaust and take exhaust and on both sides of the engine of v-shaped engine then what you do is now you're not compromised so if you were to basically look at it look at it in, this, in an agronomic sense farmer a takes this corn seed and he plants it and he nurtures it and he, he he does soil tests he does tissue tests he does sap tests and he spoon feeds it and he gives it oh it needs some boron it needs some sulfur that needs a little bit more in and now he takes that seed all right and he gets 500 bushels per acre from it let's say arguably right now i take that seed and i do a basic soil test and say okay this is what i need and i need some micros and i put it in the ground and i plant it the same with the same plant i do everything with the same thing and i do nothing else to it afterwards just whatever was in the ground well now i only get 200 bushels per acre 170 or 220 whatever i don't get the five or 600 like he's getting it's the same seed it's the same soil all right what he's basically doing he's tuning it he's tweaking it he's going saying okay it needs some nitrogen you need some boron a little bit low on calcium levels low on manganese here all right and he's taking that's what they're doing with engines so just like a high yield farmer spoon feeds that by putting these technologies of variable cam timing and variable intake manifold runner runner length excuse me and then also you know and doing putting that together and then running multiple camshafts on a on, on, on a, you know, one cam for the intake valve another cam for the exhaust valve instead of ca- sharing that camshaft we're taking this engine and just like the 600 bushel per acre farmer is defying logic well he's just optimizing what's already in the seed what we're doing here is that the, the the automotive community, engine community, is optimizing the displacement that that engine already has, and that's why they're getting these that these broad power bands. That's why they're getting all these efficiencies because they ta- they they identified the two weak links. And if you talk to and I making analogy back again to a high yield farmer, that if you look at a high yield farmer 
you know, and anybody who's going to look at it, who's studying this and studying Yilda is going to say, man, I really, I'm, I'm understanding that boron is a real is a real factor here. Sulfur is a real factor here. So even though we're looking at our micros, we're not paying enough attention to it. Well, that's what happened in engineering. So they're able to take this smaller engine and they're able to optimize that. And the two biggest things that they're optimizing is the intake manifold runner length and the camshaft phase those are the two biggest things that optimize that they're allowing to take this and make and make what they call more area in the curve and make that elastic elastic meaning that has a very broad power band so now in you know, in agricultural engines we don't see much of that yet all right you see it in light duty pickup trucks like on the the power stroke or the uh the duramax and, and probably to a cummins to a certain extent i don't think that they have as much of that in there but i may be wrong but the thing is that by doing this, you're taking this output and you're making the engine very, very elastic. Why aren't they doing it that much in agricultural engines? Well, first of all, number one is because that's more of a constant speed engine than a transient engine, so a constant speed engine. But the next frontier is going to be implementing this technology specifically that's an over-road diesel, and I'm sure some of them have that already. And I'm not even talking about turbocharge or anything I'm talking about because all of this comes into play and just becomes magnified once you put up what we call a hairdryer on there to blow air in there. But the but the thing that you need to understand, so when you open the hood and you see this, or you're going to buy a new vehicle, you're going to buy a new pickup truck, and you're saying, why is that intake manifold nylon? Why does it go over the valve cover? Why does it look like a, a barrel? Why is it doing this? Why is there variable cam timing? The thing is that you understand why. Now, the flip side, of this basically is that engines with variable cam timing i don't care what brand it is have very very delicate and intricate controls to move the camshafts and they're very 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 susceptible to failure with a lack of maintenance and or using the wrong oil so they're not going to be forgiving of that like an old push rod motor all right you have to use the proper oil and you have to be very good with maintenance because once you start to gum all that up and varnish it all up if the oil doesn't have the proper properties then over time that mechanism that 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 phases the cam and changes the cam is going to become problematic and keep in mind is that if you have a cam phase depending upon how much they phase the cam and they're getting braver with it you could actually if it sticks the wrong way you could actually hit the piston hit the valve the piston because you have to remember the piston to valve clearance is going to be predicated upon when the cam when the when the valve is actually opening and coming down into the bore but but the thing is that they just you got to maintain them if you maintain them they're fine but they're not going to be for the, for the guy or the company or the fleet that's not good with with oil changes and wants to use the cheapest oil and not the best oil with the best detergent and, and additive package in it it's eventually going to end up biting you so when you look under the hood right now and you'll be able to see why there's a nylon intake manifold why there's variable cam timing and why and why there are variable runner intake manifolds it all gets to be just to increase the area under the curve and make this small engine pull and act and operate like a big engine so that is it. any questions or any concerns please feel free to uh to reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farm and uh, we're gonna get tex rubinowitz in here right now for a toolbox test come on buddy and he's from ripsaw records 
I'm a hot rod man. Yeah, I'm a hot rod man. Look out, little mama, gonna get you. All right, Tex, thank you so much. All right, get your thinking caps on. Here's a toolbox test. All right, you just got your new diesel pickup and are showing it off to your buddies. You told them that not only does it have an odometer, but an hour meter too. You have never seen this in a pickup before. You query them to ask why you think it is included. They provide the following theories, all right? So Farmer A tells you there is no need for an hour meter. The company just added it to justify the cost of the new truck with the bells and whistles. Farmer B has an idea that it has to do with the emission systems and possibly the regeneration of the diesel particulate filter. Farmer C thinks that it is for warranty. It must be it must be either months, miles, or hours. And Farmer D chimes in and says that its big brother is watching to see how fast you're going because if they know how long you were driving, then they can figure out how fast you were going. All right, so uh, that is it. Why do you think that most of these new pickup trucks, they specifically the diesel ones, have an hour meter? All right, so now I have to find, get to my question here. And this is from Special Delivery. And he goes, hi, my name is Jim, and I am enjoying your show. I am not a farmer, but I read you in Hemmings Muscle Machines. I have a question about starting my 1969 Dodge Charger with a 383 and four barrel. It is stock, but it is very hard to start when the engine is cold. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for reading me in the magazines and for coming over to the podcast. And uh, I commend you for that because some people say, oh, farm machinery, really 95% of it pertains to anything. But anyway, I the fact of the matter is, is that I'm going to be very brief because you need to reach reach back out to me at Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineryDigest.com. All right, I need to know whether you are setting the choke properly when you start the engine, and I need to know the dynamics, because there's a couple of things that are going on here. I, I need to know how long the car sits or sits every morning. Uh, one of the things that can be happening is that you are not evoking the proper starting procedure to set the automatic choke on that, and every engine with an automatic choke, you need to press the throttle to the floor and release and probably press it at least one more time release a half a shot because when you press the throttle to the floor two things are going to happen number or three things actually number one you're going to give it accelerator pump stroke of raw fuel into the intake manifold and you're going to allow the third the, the automatic choke to close the choke plate and also set the fast idle cam now if you are not doing that then the engine is not going to start to be very hard to start because there's no choke to enrich in the mixture and the, and the vaporization rate of fuel, even at 60 degrees, is only about 50%. So you, excuse me, you need to have a richer air-fuel ratio. So it's very common. You don't want to step on the pedal when you're cranking. This has to be before. So I don't know whether your starting procedure is correct or not. And this is not just for a 69 charge. This is anything with an automatic choke. To be a 72 Ford pickup truck it has nothing to do with it being a, 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 a Dodge Charger. The other thing that could be happening or a combination of things is that the float bowl is leaking when you leaking out when you, the vehicle sits i don't know how long it takes for us to have a problem or if you were to use the car today and use the car tomorrow that you'd still have a problem so you need to be able to look down the throat of that carburetor 
when you go to before going to start and, and keep the choke plate open and move the accelerator pump, move the gas, move the throttle and see if there's a, a spray from the accelerator pump. There should be a shot into both primary bores. So that basically is another issue. So I would have to say that the best thing is to reach out to me. We could open up a dialogue. Either you're not setting the choke correctly by by stepping on the gas and letting it close where the choke is sticking you are doing that and the choke plays and closing or the carburetor is leaking out or the fuel is evaporating out you're not getting a good pump shot there so um the thing is that you know just reach out to me and we could go over this and i i did an article a number of years ago in hemming's muscle machines i believe you could find it on the internet which i called i was doing a series called the lost art and it was the lost art of adjusting an automatic choke so uh do that and reach out to me and let me know all right so now before we get ready to close here we're going to have our answer to our toolbox test and farmer b is correct most systems with a diesel particulate filter look at several parameters to evoke a regeneration cycle also the manufacturers include the hour meter to combat customer complaints for excessive regeneration or a plugged dpf dpf this is in response to trucks that idle a good deal such as those for a utility company so the thing basically is is that you have to realize that it's a brave new world out there as as we add a lot of these things to it something that was an issue before is not an issue and that is for the re, for the most part why the vehicles today the light duty diesels and probably some gas engines also because believe it or not they're starting to put some particulate filters on gas engines mercedes has it so this technology usually went from gas to diesel but now some of it's coming backwards from diesel to gas so that is why that is there so i want to thank you so much for tuning in today for clicking in and i just want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved beloved america please i'd love to know where you are send me an email so i can put a pin in the map any place in the world and just remember when you look under the hood that's why you're seeing all that stuff there have a blessed day and i'm going back in the field to pick on bye bye